Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. With the number of COVID cases continuing to decline here in the United States, I've been thinking more and more about our return to life in the community and particularly how from just a sensory perspective that can be really overwhelming. That's why I'm happy to be talking with Rachel Hawkins on this episode as we will discuss her work as an occupational therapist about how autistic adults can get their sensory needs met and also her work with Lights on the Spectrum. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Rachel, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Doug. Why don't you start out and learn where does your story in the autistic community begin? So it really begins um, early on in childhood, although um, there wasn't really a lot of information back then. The 80s when I was growing up, um, my parents really had to kind of go it on their own. And so they got me into a lot of different activities and um sports and different groups. Um, music was really uh, valuable for me because I think it taught me a lot. So I'm not sure how much I used that um, in my life, but I, I got into jazz improv, which um, is a form of nonverbal communication, as I've said, where you're each taking a solo and there's you need to communicate some way of um, to the other players that it's your turn or their turn or you're finished and so there's a little bit of that you know looking at the other person um, making that connection um, although I guess it, it really began um, at a summer arts camp Bucks Rock camp um, at about age 14 when voice teacher there uh, noticed I wasn't really talking to the other girls in my bunk and Kind of, I think we, I, there was a call to my parents, and the term at that time was hyperlexia, which um, means that I was always good with reading and writing, but not so much with social conversation. So, um, and then it kind of went from there. My parents finding different support groups, and you know, by that time it was into the early to mid '90s, and there was a little bit more information through college, and then. Recently, I've gotten interested in diversity and inclusion work and advocacy, self-advocacy and all, all of that. You uh, achieved uh, your bachelor's degree in uh, political science and then a few le years later went on to get your master's in 
occupational therapy. So there doesn't seem to be a big connection between political science and occupational therapy. But do you, do you for you, did you see do you see much of a connection between the two? I do, and originally it wasn't my plan to go into occupational therapy. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, and I kind of settled on political science because I liked the courses, and that was an area of interest because my first election was the 2000 election. If you remember all of the court cases with that and who won and the Florida you know, recounts, and so I, I would listen to like NPR on the way home from my high school, which was a private high school, uh, about 45 minutes to an hour away from where I lived. So I was interested in that. And then right after graduating college, um, I had a pretty serious medical emergency where I guess to, to make a long story short, over a few days, I, I quickly became paralyzed. It was We found out there was... Um, fluid that had been compressing my spinal cord. So obviously they needed to remove that um, through emergency surgery. It was in my cervical region, so it was my whole body was um, pretty much would, would be paralyzed and kind of losing some sensation, but it would come back. So I was in the ER, the ICU, and then I went up to the rehab floor. And the interesting thing was that I had um, physical therapy, but not occupational therapy. I think the reason was that I was able to put on my shoes and socks independently when they would come through. I guess that was one of the criteria for if you needed OT services. So I went on to go to PT three times a week, and I was a very good patient. I would do all of my exercises at home, becoming stronger, and about six months to a year later, well, six months later, I actually ran in the New Orleans half marathon with team and training. It was my my goal to become stronger than I was before. So I'm lucky to be able to walk and run and do everything that I did before. But I realized that um, OT could have helped me with a few things, which was um, like reaching into my cabinets. Uh, My parents were, were very supportive and able to be at home with me. But really, the the basic things of um, putting my shirt on and washing my hair and reaching up to do that, those are things that OT helps with, the activities of daily living. Um, And I learned that as an OT, I get to be creative, and there's a basis in science and psychology and all of these things that I I was interested in and good at. Um, And so I did that, and I've worked mostly with the pediatric population, but um, over the recent years, I've gotten into neurodiversity and um, advocacy, and so I see the connection with um, political science in advocacy and um, impacting the legislation that affects um, people with disabilities, uh, the ADA and the um, the Autism Cares Act, uh, to name a couple. Um, so I'm. Yeah, I've always been interested in combining my two degrees and advocating for people on the spectrum and, and other people with disabilities. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, I, so I'm so i a runner myself, so I was, I'm was i curious. You said you ran a, a half marathon. It was 
was that the one and only half marathon you'll ever run, or would you or would you consider running uh, another one? Um, I think. Well, I so I don't really like running itself. I, I did <laughs> like the challenge, like I, I did the Broad Street Run in Philadelphia, which was it was ten miles. I think I, I like the the things that come with the run, like the everyone's cheering and that atmosphere, but not the actual running itself, although it is good, um, definitely good exercise. And I've thought about like a triathlon or something, because I do like um, swimming and biking. Well, I, I do always say the best part of running is when it's over. <laughs> what, what kind of running have you done? Or I've, run, uh, I've run several marathons. Like mm-hmm. full full marathon, so okay. yeah. Uh, recently, I just I just ran a uh, a half marathon. Uh, trained someone to to run a half marathon, so and I hadn't done that in a few years, so that was fun to get back into that. Right? Yeah, I thought a marathon might might be interesting to say that I've you know that you've done it. Absolutely. A challenge. Yeah, half marathon is great as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So you've uh, you've spent some time working as an occupational therapist for for current and maybe future um, neurodivergent uh, OTs out there. What supports do you think um, would be helpful to them so they could give the best support possible for their clients? Um, I think self awareness and um, appreciation is important. Um, so in OT, we have a um, technique um, of therapeutic use of self where you look at how to use yourself in a relationship or in a therapy session. And I think no one could be a good therapist if they don't have the awareness of themselves and um, also, you know, and and meeting their own needs, um, but also appreciating that if if you're neurodivergent, uh, that's what makes you different and you unique. Um, and so to recognize the strengths and the positive things that come with that, because it gives a, a unique perspective that the other neurotypical therapists don't have. Um, we might not be like, I'm not a very loud and um, cheery therapist, but I have the uh, relationship of with my, my clients that I'm able to understand where they're coming from. Um, because I've been there, and I hope that comes through. Um, I think my my dad has referred to it as like the the quiet strength or the you know the quiet cheerleader. I'm not the the rah rah cheerleader, but I have the quiet strength and the, the perseverance uh, because of things that have happened in my life. Uh, and I hope that that I can impact my clients um, with that. Organizations are definitely much better when they have a diverse range of employees for for so many different reasons. And you created a presentation to discuss this called Creating the Perfect Mosaic, Crafting a Diverse Organization. What are some of keys you do you feel that organi- for organizations and making sure that it's a place that autistic and neurodivergent people actually want to work at. I think it's important for employers to make accommodations for their employees, and it's really not difficult um, or hard if someone <clears throat> needs a certain 
I talked about this in the presentation, if someone needs um, a quiet area to work or noise-canceling headphones, um, most accommodations, I think the number is maybe up to $500, so it's not too much, um, and it will make the employee feel respected and comfortable and, want, and appreciate that the employer is doing that for them, um, and it's something that the employer needs to do. Also, the representation um, people with disabilities is the third largest market segment. If people see that you're hiring and welcoming people with disabilities or neurodivergent people, uh, they'll be more likely to use your services and want to work there, thus you know, bringing in a profit. Um, and so just different, having different spaces for people to work, individual offices, and now the, the big thing is like an open space, but if there's a, a space that the person can go to or take a break, like places for people to take a phone call and giving people control over their workspace, or just a few. Going back to um, talking a little bit about occupational therapy and occupational therapist, you know, I know, you know, OT can be so beneficial to autistic kids and teens in getting their sensory needs met. However, oftentimes when autistics become adults, they don't uh, that support seems to evaporate quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So what would be some ways that um, you think autistic adults can get their sensory needs met, even if they don't have an occupational therapist that they can see that understands about their needs? Um, so we all have sensory needs, but uh, some, <clears throat> some may have more unique than others. If a person is, I assume the person is able to recognize and um, kind of advocate for themselves. So um, it, could, it could be something like, you know, taking a walk outside, taking a, getting some uh, movement or fresh air, uh, or having a people chew gum, crunchy or chewy snack. Um, other activities like I've used playing music, like actually playing the piano for like when I feel stressed or uh, or someone could listen to music. Uh, that's a very can be a very either engaging or calming activity, uh, depending on the music. So I think it, it takes a um, recognition of what the person needs first. Uh, although some people just will do naturally if like if I need to get up, I'll just get up and you know move around. Currently, you are part of Lights on the Spectrum, which is a global fundraising effort designed to create a brighter future for those on the autism spectrum, which uh, brings together advocates, lighting manufacturers, lighting designers, and industry professionals. Sounds like a much-needed organization. Can you tell us a little bit about your mission? Sure. Uh, this is... So, it's... You know, if you look at the, we're making an impact for those on the autism spectrum by bringing in the lighting industry, which works also on a, a lighting, the lighting spectrum. Um, and so we have a, we're going to have an auction where we auction off either decorative lights or things that light you up. It could be a vacation or a concert um, or what, whatever that is inspiring to you. 
and we're in conversation on who to collaborate with, um, some kind of autism organization uh, that maybe, you know, gives help to those who are seeking employment or uh, where they're, they're making a positive difference for those on the autism spectrum. And we'll, we'll have the auction site announced in a few months. So basically, you can donate money, share, just get involved. And it's, it's really a great, um, like you said, a great cause and exciting. What, what's been the response um, so far from light manufacturers and designers towards lights on the spectrum? The, response, the reaction has been amazing. We've had um, inquiries from lighting designers um, from all over the country and the, the UK. This one company, Lighttake, came out to record a video. So people are really interested in donating. Uh, we're just kind of starting, but the, the interest is there. Um, and you can check the, our website for updates. And how can our listeners um, learn more about Lights on the Spectrum? You can go to our website, lightsonthespectrum.org, which is updated ongoingly, uh, or you can email me at rh at lightsonthespectrum.org um, and check my LinkedIn for updates. There are sensory challenges just in about um, um, any public space we go, whether it's a restaurant, whether we go shopping, going to medical appointments, just to name a few places. What can these places do specifically regarding the lighting they have that would be really helpful to those with sensory sensitivities to light? Those with sensitivities are more aware of the light usually than others. Um, fluorescent lighting may be really distracting and it's actually being phased out. Uh, it's an old technology that has some issues like a strobe uh, the fact that many people are sensitive to, especially those on the autism spectrum. I have some notes here from my, my dad, who's a lighting industry professional um, and actually the founder of Lights on the Spectrum. So I know that things are moving towards, um, especially in the last few years, to make the built environment a healthy place and to embrace the well-building design elements. <clears throat> if you see that well-building seal on certain... Um, buildings now, that's what they're geared towards. So it looks at the light, the sound, the air, the water, um, the space to make sure it's a, like a biophilic design. So things like eliminating glare from the light um, versus so you're not looking, for example, at an exposed light bulb, it's diffused. Um, providing the right light, light level, like the just right, so just like in Goldilocks or in OT, there's a, you, you want to provide the just right challenge. This is the just right level of light. Using daylight, so real or natural light as much as possible. Uh, and having the light fixtures emanate the correct color temperature for the time of day and activity. So you'd have those that, that replicate sunlight, you know, when we have sunlight, um, I was trying to think of the numbers there, but I wanted to would want to make sure I got those right. And so, really, everyone now is um, more sensitive that that in lighting, you know, using it to create well-being and, and avoiding that that is disturbing. So, 
Well, Rachel, thank you very much. It was a, a great conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Rachel for the conversation. To learn more about Rachel, and there's a link in the podcast description to do so. If you'd like to learn beyond this podcast how Autism Personal Coach can help you to get your sensory needs met or to reduce your daily overwhelm, book a Zoom call with me today. A link to book the call can be found in the podcast description of this episode. You know, I certainly hope you have been enjoying, you know, this episode of Autism Stories or or even many others. And if if that's the case, if you could tell a friend uh, about this podcast, share how they can listen to it, it would be so much greatly appreciated. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will have a conversation about neurodivergent therapists. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.